Soldiers who were swept up in the First World War faced violence on a horrifying scale. How did Latter-day Saint soldiers deal with fear? What was it like to live under the shadow of death, violence, and suffering? On today's episode, we explore Latter-day Saints fighting in the Great War. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. World War I was not the first time that Latter-day Saints had been brought into a military conflict. They had served in the Mexican War in 1847, the Philippine-American War in 1899, and the Pancho Villa Campaign in 1916. But Latter-day Saints had never been thrown into a conflict on the scale of the First World War. Now, as they took up arms in Britain, Germany, Canada, and the United States, Latter-day Saint soldiers took their places in the trenches along the Western Front. The war brought a horrifying new array of weapons. Mortars, machine guns, poison gas, tanks, flamethrowers. But the deadliest weapon of all was artillery. In the trenches, soldiers were usually within reach of the enemy guns. With a constant threat of bombardment, death could strike randomly. As one Utah soldier, George Balif, recalled, you didn't see the enemy. It was a question of surviving the tremendous artillery fire that would come at you, bombs from the air. It was terribly frightening at first for us. Sometimes you'd get so frightened you would want to turn and run, but nobody could run. Artillery set the condition for a common experience among survivors that of seeing their childhood friends, schoolmates, and neighbors in the prime of youth and full of life cut down within days, or sometimes hours, of arriving at the front. Private Archibald Bennett of Canada recalled that during his time in England before embarking for France, he ran into Billy Sibley, another Latter-day Saint from his hometown. He said smilingly, well, I am going to France, and I'll see some real action at last. He later learned that Sibley had not been in the trench five minutes before he was killed. While some fell almost as soon as they arrived, others died within days of the war ending. Private Sterling Russell of Washington County, Utah, volunteered to go on a patrol just before the offensive in the Argonne Forest in November 1918. His mission was to seek out enemy machine gun positions, but as they moved through the darkness, a burst of fire raked their position. One of the rounds struck Private Russell in the head, killing him instantly. He fell a mere four days before the armistice was signed and a week before his daughter was born. Latter-day Saints, like their fellow soldiers, had to find ways of living under the constant threat of death. Some developed a stoic attitude, resigned to the prospect of dying. They simply came to believe that there was no way of escaping death if it was your time. Roselle Jensen of Huntington, Utah, became so convinced of this that he refused to run from incoming artillery fire. Quote, I have got myself to believe that it is foolish to run, for to run only feeds fear. And if the shells are going to get one, they will get him anyway. Such a fatalistic philosophy is very convenient at such times. Beyond coping with fear, soldiers had to find ways of coping with exhaustion, hunger, and thirst. In the experience of George Balif, whether a soldier could survive or not 
often came down to how much day-to-day misery he could endure. Quote, It wasn't how good you could shoot. It wasn't how good a soldier you were as far as our traditional thinking about soldiers. But it was how far could you walk? How long could you go without sleep and food under all kinds of conditions? That determined whether or not you survived. And there was no end to sources of misery in the trenches. LDS chaplain Herbert Ma described what to him was the greatest misery. Quote, the worst part of trench warfare in World War I to me was, was not the fighting, nor the danger of being shot at. The worst of it was the mud, the mud we had to live in. It was often up to our ankles and knees. Sometimes we slept in it. Soldiers not only had to live and fight in mud, but often among the bodies of the dead. Canadian officer Major Hugh B. Brown remembered life in the trenches facing Vimy Ridge. We spent considerable time in observation posts where we were within 40 yards of the enemy. We lived in dugouts and did most of our work at night. We spent some time among the bones of French soldiers who had not been buried after having been killed between there and the enemy lines almost a year before. Another source of misery and terror was poison gas. Isaac Humphrey, a Utah soldier, was sent in 1918 to reinforce the French lines and described what it was like to be in a gas attack. About eight of us at the rear of the line got gassed, but we didn't know it for some time as it worked slow. As soon as I woke up, my eyes started to burn and run. I began to cough and became (laughs) ill. The gas worked slowly. It worked into a solution on any moisture in and on your body. Eventually, the solution had enough gas in it to become strong enough to burn. But by the time you knew that you had enough gas to burn you, it was too late. Latter-day Saint soldiers at the front found other ways to cope with the misery of fighting. One British soldier, Harold McKnight, found marching to be a nightmare, to be sure, but forgot his discomforts as he tried to focus his mind on the great and glorious work which has been recommenced on the earth through the instrumentality of Joseph Smith, the prophet. Private Archibald Bennett of Canada committed himself to strictly obeying the word of wisdom, so much so that even when lying wounded in the hospital, he had the presence of mind to ask the nurses to bring him milk instead of tea. Private Alonzo Stanton of Utah wrote home to his mother he had seen enough of France to do me the rest of my life, but encouraged her to not worry about him. Now, dear little mother, don't worry about me because I am all right, because God is with me. I sure think of him every night and day. Latter-day Saints also took up arms in the cause of Germany, just as patriotically as their brothers did in Britain, Canada, and later in the United States. The German saints prayed to God to bless German weapons with victory. Their patriotism did not go unnoticed, and Kaiser Wilhelm thanked a Latter-day Saint for the nationalist poetry he published in the newspapers. Another German Latter-day Saint wrote to his home ward from the front lines, assuring them that he and his fellow Latter-day Saint soldiers in the German army were always prepared to punish our enemies with death. But not everyone shared this martial zeal. The Great War presented Latter-day Saints with a situation they had not faced before, that their duty might require them to kill each other. One German soldier, Wilhelm Stoll, remembered the counsel his father gave him before he left for the front. Son, 
Always obey orders, but never volunteer to do a job that you know means to take someone's life. And always, always have a prayer in your heart not to kill another Latter-day Saint. Before the United States entered the war, German soldier Wilhelm Kessler wrote letters to his fellow Germans in Salt Lake City, urging them not to believe English propaganda. Quote, The English are spreading lies about us. Don't believe it. We are keeping Germany's honor high and successful. Right, he assured them, is on the side of Germany. That July, Kessler was killed in the fighting near Memetz. But the zeal and martial spirit began to crack by the fourth year of the war. William Barth had volunteered to serve in the Alpen Corps, a special unit of mountain soldiers. But by the fall of 1918, they too were fed into the maw of the Western Front. Barth could see by then it was hopeless. Quote, Our lines were too thin. Too many soldiers had perished already. We had not only French and English as our enemies, but now we had the Americans as our enemies as well. It was a real hard time for us. But then, a change. Because he had taken first aid courses before the war, Barth was ordered to hand in his weapon. From that day on, Barth would be a medic, a non-combatant. Latter-day Saints like Hugh B. Brown and Archibald Bennett served in the Canadian Corps. Now, historian G.J. Meyer wrote that by 1918, a strong case could be made that the Canadian Expeditionary Force, along with the Anzac Corps, had become the greatest fighting force that the war produced. Their record was nothing short of astonishing. Never once had they failed to capture an objective. Never once were they driven from a position they had the chance to consolidate, and never once had they lost a gun. Archibald Bennett, being a skilled horseman, found himself in a cavalry unit along with his friend, Leslie Bigelow. They both took part in a cavalry charge across a bridge near Cambrai, France. As Bennett and his comrades galloped over the bridge, all was silent at first. Not until they were furthest from cover did the German machine guns suddenly open fire. In the eruption of violence, Bennett and other riders fell over the side of the bridge, plunging into the water below. The Germans fired into the water, killing horse and rider alike. Yet in the confusion and chaos, Bennett somehow managed to get his horse to the bank and successfully link up with his unit. When he returned to camp, Leslie Bigelow was not there. Only later would he learn that his friend, against all odds, had survived the battle but would spend the rest of the war in a German prison camp. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We owe a special thanks to Robert Freeman and Andrew Skinner. To learn more about the stories in these episodes, please check out their book, Saints at War, World War I. A link to their book and other sources can be found in the show notes. I'm your host, Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History.